and the Y'all Show is back with you to get another week of Talk About the South up and a-going. I'm General John Rawls, CSA, Certified Southern American. Glad to have you aboard. Hope you're off and going really, really good here today. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can be off and going that way. You can do that via text at 803-816-1170. Y'all is the show that is all about the South. And if you'll just sit back and enjoy the next three hours, we've got all kinds of goodies from across the 16 Southern states that we'll be sharing with you. So pull on up a chair, get you something cold or hot, depending on your beverage choice, and enjoy the next three hours of talking about everything in the South. Now, what we have coming up here today on the Y'all Show, we've got a look at headlines. We've got an update on that tragic killing in Atlanta at the golf course, an arrest made over the weekend. We'll let you know the latest out of Kennesaw. Also, news coming out of Surfside, Florida as the recovery effort underway and has been underway we'll give you all the latest that we know coming out of south florida on that front over the weekend you may have seen the headlines out of charlottesville virginia the statue of confederate general robert e lee removed there in charlottesville and that was the same statue that back in 2016 there was a massive protest for removing it and for keeping it there and that led to the death of heather Heyer, and so that park there in charlottesville has come under attack for quite some time and as expected over the weekend that statue removed and you know what that was not the only statue removed in charlottesville and more statues are being targeted right now in fact i'm going to tell you about a non-confederate statue that was removed over the weekend and one that's getting removed from the university of virginia campus also in charlottesville so it's statue destruction time and we'll tell you all about it and the party's guilty of doing all this in our look at headlines from across the southeast today also we'll tell you about some nice fun things going on including the 75th birthday celebration of jimmy and rosalind carter they got together over the weekend in Plains, GA, and we'll let you know how that went down. Plus, also, more Florida manatees. We've discussed that in Crystal Springs before, how they have so many great manatees available there inland off the coast of Florida. But manatees in Florida have died more in the first half in 2021 than in any modern time. And we'll let you know what we can discover from the science side of things. Plus, speaking of animals and more, a North Carolina man has set a new record. He's caught a 127-pound catfish. Yeah, we have the fun stuff here on the Y'all Show. Plus, big news at the box office, Black Widow has broken records. We'll let you know exactly how that movie has taken off. And speaking of taking off, Dolly Parton is taking off. No, not her, not her clothing. Come on. No, she's taking off away from her home there in the Brentwood area of Nashville. And over the weekend, she was spotted antiquing throughout Middle Tennessee. And how would you like to be shopping at your favorite antique store and in walks Dolly? She's a bit of a recluse. And here she is over the weekend having some kind of normal fun times in Middle Tennessee. And we'll let you know where she went. Maybe we'll even let you know what she purchased on her weekend shopping spree. Dolly Parton news coming up on today's Y'all Show. Plus, we'll give you the latest on sports. From the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks have decided they want to make a little bit of a series out of it. We'll give you the latest on the NBA Finals. Plus, Major League Baseball held its draft over the weekend. 
and it was not a Vanderbilt pitcher going number one. We'll let you know where Rocker and Leiter went, Vanderbilt's great aces on the mound. We'll let you know all about the MLB draft. Speaking of Major League Baseball, this week they ought to be hanging out in Atlanta at Truist Park. Instead, they have abandoned Atlanta because Major League Baseball and Commissioner Manford decided to get woke this year and decided to put the game at the last minute in Denver. And so no Major League All-Star game in Atlanta this week, and we'll have some things to say about that on today's Y'all Show. All-Star game, if you are interested, is set for Tuesday. But right now, Major League Baseball teams on an All-Star break. All that news in our sports headlines across the Southeast on today's Y'all Show. Plus, in our first hour, we're going to kick off our latest stop. We're on a 44-city tour of the Southeast, and today's stop will be to a school that is, I would say, at a crossroads. They have had fairly good success in years past on the gridiron, but they kind of need to step up their game, and this year just might be the year for this team. This is a team that plays in the AAC, and this is a team that frankly has some pretty cool traditions and some pretty cool things in college football, and we'll discuss that with you. And one of the traditions they have before they hit the field, they come out to this song right here, and I'm going to let you hear a little bit of it, seeing if you might be able to guess that one. That's a little Jimi Hendrix music, and sure enough, this college football team hits the field with this playing over the loudspeakers at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. It's Purple Haze, and today we're going to go to where Purple Haze is Adrift. It's Greenville, North Carolina, and that's the home of East Carolina University. The ECU Pirates are today's college football tour stop, and we'll let you know about Mike Houston's program, what they have coming up in 2021. This is a big season for them. They've got a game to start with in a neutral site. Plus, they got, I think, an SEC team heading into Dowdy Ficklin Stadium this year. This is a team they've had success against before. And now they got them on their home turf in eastern North Carolina. We'll let you know all about ECU football in this first hour. And then we'll tell you more about the traditions and famous alums of East Carolina University when we hit hour number three today. It's the latest on our trip around the South, getting you ready for the start of college football season, Labor Day weekend. Today, it's the AAC's East Carolina Pirates. Today's stop of the college football tour. By the way, we'll be in the Carolina coastal area also on Tuesday, but we won't be in Greenville, North Carolina. We're going to go to Conway, South Carolina, as the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. They were one of the darlings of the 2020 football season, and Coastal is our stop on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we're going to go to the Big Easy as the Tulane Green Wave will be our spotlight college team on Wednesday's Y'all Show. Thursday, we're going to travel just up Interstate 59 out of the Big Easy and take you to The Rock and Hattiesburg as the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Southern Miss to the top. We'll tell you all about Southern Miss football for 2021 and the traditions and more coming out of Hattiesburg on Thursday's Y'all Show. And on Friday, we're going to wrap up the week in Annapolis as the Navy Midshipmen will be the final stop on our tour this week Again, on a 44-city odyssey across the South, stopping by great college football teams and great college football traditions. And the United States Naval Academy 
gets some love. They're the only federal military academy located in the southeast. And we're going to say anchors away come Friday with the Navy Midshipmen, a team that's doing quite good in football. They have won the AAC in recent years. And Ken Niamatalolo, the head coach of Navy, he's done a fantastic job after taking over for Paul Johnson when Coach Johnson took off for Georgia Tech. And the midshipmen and their traditions and more about the United States Naval Academy will be on Friday's Y'all Show. But today, remind you, today it's all about the Pirates, not of the Naval Academy, the Pirates of East Carolina. Also this hour, we're going to tell you all about Southern history, and we'll let you know about how on this date in history, the British decided to take their belongings and move on away from Savannah, as it was in this day in the 1780s, the British forces and British people that were loyal to the king decided to abandon Savannah. They took off to Charleston. I don't know if things were better for them in Charleston. But ultimately, Savannah, Georgia, became a patriot town starting this day in the 1780s. We'll let you know more about this revolutionary time period as we discuss Southern history. Plus, today and this week marks the birthday of Oklahoma music legend Woody Guthrie. We'll let you hear a little bit of his most famous song. Plus, this week marks the birthday of Ida B. Wells, a native of Holly Springs, Mississippi, who lived in the Memphis area and was a civil rights pioneer. In fact, this past weekend in Memphis, they just dedicated an Ida B. Wells statue right off of Bill Street. And I'll let you know more about this founder of the NAACP, Ida B. Wells, as part of our Southern History Focus. That's later this hour. Hour two today, I'll just have to be brief because there's just so much going on here on the Y'all Show, but heads up, Jerry Short's dropping by. Jerry Short, he and I are going to discuss the NCAA's new NIL rule where college athletes will be able to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. That's ahead on today's Y'all Show. Plus, we'll also get Jerry to talk about other fun stuff when he drops by in hour number two. And then, of course, in hour three, more on East Carolina and the traditions and famous alumni of ECU. In fact, did you realize, let me get into the right voice when I bring up this, did you realize, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> did you realize that one of East Carolina University's most famous alumni is one of the most famous names in, I can't give away the name because I don't want to give away who this is, but basically all I can say is, let's get ready to rumble. Yeah, both he and his wife are East Carolina University alumni, and I'll let you know exactly who that is. And if you can't guess who that is after that kind of intro, we need to uh, take you out and, uh, and body slam you. In a, in a ring in front of a big crowd. Hint, hint. All that's coming up on today's Y'all Show. Hope you enjoy, and hopefully you also know that you can find podcast editions of this show. Simply go to our website, y'all.com. It's the South's homepage. Or you can find us on Stitcher. You can find us in the TuneIn Radio app, the iHeartRadio app, and also available on Apple Podcasts. We make it so extremely easy for you to stay on top of everything Southern here and that's what we aim to do with Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Looking at headlines from across the Southeast, the death toll now has expanded, and now the death toll from the Florida condo collapse in Surfside at Champlain Towers. Death toll now reaching 90. 
some 60 souls still under the rubble and not likely to have any survivors from this thing as it's just continuing to be a, a horrible scene there. And now experts saying it could take weeks before the mission to try to rescue or recover rather bodies from the Champlain Towers building is complete. Miami-Dade County Mayor Daniela Saba said 90 deaths have now been confirmed in last month's collapse of the 12-story Champlain Towers south in Surfside. Among them, 71 bodies have been identified and families have been notified. Some 31 people remain listed as missing. The Miami-Dade Police Department said three young children were among those recently identified. Thoughts certainly to all those affected, including the souls lost, the families affected. It's just a gruesome, gruesome thing that's ongoing. And again, according to the authorities there in Surfside, Florida, it could take weeks before this comes to a head and this is completed. Likely going to end up being a memorial there permanently going forward for the many, many people. What's going to end up being around 150 people lost in the Champlain Towers collapse. In Georgia, an update from the killing there on the golf course in Kennesaw, Georgia. A man arrested over the weekend, Brian Roden, faces multiple charges, including murder, kidnapping, and aggravated assault, as he was the shooting suspect that allegedly bound victims with tape, according to investigators, and he also shot the head pro there at the golf course in Kennesaw, Georgia. Authorities found two people in the bed of a truck, Henry Valdez, a 46-year-old Georgia man, as well as 76-year-old Paul Pearson, and the truck belonged to Pearson, according to local officials. A third victim, the pro of the golf course, Gene Siller, a 41-year-old man, was shot dead on the course near the 10th hole. Police believe that Roden shot Siller because he approached the truck when it veered onto the golf course. And a real tragedy, but... Again, one man has been arrested, and he's being held in Cobb County's jail, and that is Brian Roden, a 23-year-old man, again, arrested for the murders and kidnapping and aggravated assault in Georgia from the 4th of July weekend. I think that happened on July 3rd, the Saturday of the 4th of July. Sad news coming out of Union County, Mississippi, near New Albany. Two Army reservists from Memphis were killed when their vehicle was struck by another car, according to the Mississippi Department of Public Safety, 20-year-old Antavia Shy and 21-year-old Keon Williams were changing a flat tire near the south side fog line in the eastbound lane when a Chevrolet Silverado collided with them, causing fatal injuries. They were pronounced dead at the scene. The Union County, Mississippi coroner Pam Bowman says Shy and Williams were traveling to Tupelo for weekend training with the 658th Supply Company on South Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Apparently, they stopped on the interstate to help a unit member who had a flat tire accident currently under investigation by Mississippi Highway Patrol. But again, two Army reservists from Memphis killed when being good Samaritans to their fellow member of the unit that they participate in, reservist with the 658th Supply Company, based in Tupelo, and these Army reservists from Memphis now killed in Union County, Mississippi. A tragic story. Again, these guys, both out trying to be good Samaritans, end up being struck by a car and killed over the weekend. 
unfortunately, we're not just looking at Chicago when we talk about the homicide rate going through the roof here in 2021. Our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., has just marked its 100th homicide in 2021. That grim milestone reached on Friday, and it represents an accelerated pace of homicides from previous years. A 45-year-old Willie Parker was found dead with gunshot wounds just before 11 p.m. on Friday. The shooting happened on 41st Street Southeast near the D.C.-Maryland line. And again, his death, the 100th homicide in the District of Columbia in 2021 alone. On Thursday, a 24-year-old former football player with UVA Wise was shot and killed. Muncier Sharfi was the former football player at UVA Wise, and he was a graduate student at Bowie State University working toward his master's degree in information technology, and he was the 99th victim killed in D.C. on Thursday. Last year, D.C. it hit its 100th homicide on July 12th. And here we are this year. They reached that a couple of days before that. In fact, looking back over the last couple of years, in 2019 and 2018, the 100th homicide came in August. But how crazy is that? We have hundreds. They're going to likely have close to 200 homicides in just Washington, D.C., which is not that big of a town compared to the Chicago's, heck, compared to the Jacksonville, Florida's, which have massive borders for the city limits, maybe not as many people as in D.C. And here in our own nation's capital, it truly is a war zone. I bet there's as many people killed in Washington, D.C. than Baghdad. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I, I, somebody needs to get me the data and tell me if how far off I am. I know they have bombings and things like that that happen in Baghdad. Five, ten people may get killed. But for a 100 people to be dead halfway through the year in our nation's capital, where not that many people, frankly, live compared to other cities around the world and in the country because of the fact that so many people in so-called Washington technically live in Virginia and Maryland. Mm. This week it's the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, and it is not at Truist Park in Atlanta it is now in Denver after Major League Baseball got woke and moved it after being threatened over Georgia's new laws on voting. The game was supposed to take place Tuesday at the home of the Atlanta Braves, but now moved to the home of the Colorado Rockies. Well, if you're a conservative, you ought to be proud of your national committee as the RNC is going to air an ad during Tuesday night's Major League Baseball All-Star Game. And this ad claims political figures and corporations, quote, lied about Georgia's new voting law. And that led to MLB moving the game from Atlanta to Denver. The game, again, was supposed to take place Tuesday at Truist Park and now moved to Denver. And a lot of people, including President Biden, called the law or compared it to Jim Crow. I think he called it Jim Crow 2.0. And now this ad out kind of slamming, if it, if you will, Major League Baseball's decision, saying they lied. As the ad says from Ronald McDaniel, the lies told by Democrat politicians and corporations about election integrity have real-life consequences hurting Georgia families. Democrats don't care about the cost of their lives because their sole agenda is more power. I know Democrats have something to say also about all of this. 
I apologize. Biden did not call it Jim Crow 2.0. He called it the Major League Baseball and what happened in Georgia with the voting laws that went into effect this year. President Biden called that Jim Crow on steroids. My apologize. Not probably a good thing to combine steroids and baseball. They've had their problems with that throughout the years. But right now, Biden's DOJ has a lawsuit against Georgia over the new law on voting within the Peach State. More to come on that story, but check out the Fox broadcast. I guess they're the ones who have the rights to this year's Major League Baseball game. And check out what they've got as far as a Republican National Committee commercial airing within the baseball game Tuesday. Don't be surprised if Major League Baseball forces Fox News or the Fox Network to pull that ad to not be controversial. Oh, we can't have that. I'll tell you a man that's a little controversial, and that is Lafayette, Louisiana's Jimmy Jennings. Okay, so just on Friday, Mr. Jennings was driving right there in Lafayette. I think he was on Interstate 10, and there was a multi-car crash on the Basin Bridge there in Lafayette. Of course, that goes over a lot of the uh, Atchafalaya Basin and more. And so this guy was impatient, Mr. Jennings of Lafayette. And so what do you do when you're stuck in a traffic jam some 60 feet above the bayou in Louisiana? You decide to go for a swim. And this knucklehead decided to jump off the bridge, and somebody actually filmed it. And Lafayette TV has a report on this. I'm just going to have to turn you over to KATC Lafayette, Louisiana, and get their report of Jimmy Jennings explaining. And, And good news is the guy survived this jump. But you're not going to believe what he did, and you need to go to KATC.com and learn more about Jimmy Jennings and his jump just because he was tired of being stuck in traffic. <laughs> what a knucklehead. When I hit the water, my shoulder went up and kind of hurt my shoulder, but I started swimming, and I did, couldn't get back to the bank because the current was too it was way too strong. After jumping from the Atchafalaya Basin Bridge on Friday during a traffic jam, Jimmy Jennings says he was in the water for more than two hours. It was pretty crazy me getting back to shore, but went from there and I had to walk all the way back. Where I was at, I couldn't even see the bridge anymore. Jennings says he was then on an island where he found a boat to take him back to civilization, but he was met by police. They all had their guns on me. They were all they they were telling me get on the ground, get on the ground, and so I got on the ground, listened to them. And they, uh, uh, they put me in handcuffs. Now Jennings tells us he was given a written citation by Wildlife and Fisheries for criminal mischief and unauthorized entry of an inhabited dwelling. Officials with St. Martin Parish Sheriff's Office confirm that and say he may face additional charges. And they are encouraging people to not jump off of bridges. <laughs> okay, y'all hear that? Do not jump off a bridge, especially if you're stuck in traffic. I mean, This one was a very, very tall bridge. I don't know how the guy survived. And again, all he says he had happened to him was he's got a little bit of a, a, not a cold shoulder, a sore shoulder. What a goofball. And I think they need to work on some of the laws of Louisiana and make that more than whatever he got cited for. He he needs to be in jail for at least a little bit bit of time to think about his stupidity. But yeah, you can go to katc.com and see the video of this guy plunging over the rails and he seemed like he was perfectly sober he wasn't jumping because he was suicidal he was just a little bored stuck in traffic so he decided to jump over and uh luckily the guy's 
okay. Maybe not up there in the head, but at least his body seems to be hmm, seems to be work, working its way through the weekend at least. Did you hear and see anything on the 45th president over the weekend? Well, not only did President Donald Trump speak at the CPAC conference in Dallas-Fort Worth over the weekend, that got a lot of attention, as it always does when President Trump speaks amongst a friendly crowd. But he also, over the weekend, stopped by Vegas. As President Trump made an appearance Saturday night at the UFC fight there at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, UFC 264, the president appearing at this sold-out arena, the first sellout since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. UFC President Dana White escorted Donald Trump down the fighter's tunnel to a seat near the Octagon, and this was a big, big reception there for the president there at UFC 264. In fact, he was not the only star located in Vegas that night, as other celebrities were on hand. Dave Chappelle, Mel Gibson, Miles Teller, Jared Leto, Steve Aoki, Jackass's Steve-O, Baker Mayfield of the Cleveland Browns, and also a couple of NFL owners, Robert Kraft of the Patriots, and Mark Davis of the Las Vegas Raiders. Not likely a fan of Donald Trump, by the way, is Mark Davis. But yes, President Trump, had a big crowd that welcomed him in when he stepped into the arena there in Vegas for UFC 264. He actually st- stuck around and watched all three of the fights of UFC 264. And so I don't know if y'all saw that, saw that action or not. Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier were the big primetime fighters for this thing. And when Trump went out in front of the crowd, the crowd chanted USA, USA. Trump sat near New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft for this three-fight three night there in Vegas. I guess he spent the night in Vegas, likely at his own hotel, before checking back into Dallas for the CPAC conference on Sunday afternoon. Poirier beat McGregor in the main event when McGregor broke his ankle and was unable to continue the fight. I wonder what so-called round that happened in for UFC 264. That thing's getting a lot of UFC, getting a lot more attention, and people must really like it. You had a sold-out arena there in Vegas for UFC 264 and even had the 45th president on hand for the carnage. All right. We've got more headlines across the southeast we're going to get to on today's Y'all Show. We will do that as we continue on. Coming up later in the show, we'll tell you all about the statue removal of Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson in Charlottesville, Virginia. But those two are not the only statues being hauled out of Charlottesville and then the public arena there of Charlottesville and UVA. George Rogers Clark, he's under attack. Also, Sacagawea and Lewis and Clark statues being toppled in Charlottesville. What is going on in the home of the Virginia Cavaliers? Plus, some animal news. A North Carolina man set a new record for catching a catfish, a 127-pounder. Craig Faulkner, where were you? <laughs> Why weren't you in North Carolina this past weekend? Plus, we'll tell you a feel-good story out of Jessamine County, Kentucky. An ice cream shop has opened there, and it aims to make a huge difference. All that, plus Jimmy and Rosalind Carter celebrating 75 years of wedded happiness. We'll let you know about all that as the Y'all Show here to get your week started continues. 
Stay tuned. When we come back, we've got a quick look at some sports news, the NBA Finals, and we'll tell you a little bit more about golf from the weekend. A big, big comeback for a South Carolina native. All that is ahead on Talk with an Accent on All Things Southern. into y'all talking about everything southern our website is y'all.com y'all is the south homepage let's take a quick look at some sports activity from the weekend and in the world of the nba the milwaukee bucks decided to start playing a little hoops and on sunday they were able to get a victory in the nba finals 120 100 milwaukee over phoenix that series now led by phoenix two to one they get back together on the hard court all the way till Wednesday, you have to wait from five serve forum is going to be game four when the Bucks and Suns tip it off on ABC Wednesday, starting at nine Eastern, eight Central for game four. And if somehow Milwaukee wins that one, the series will be evened up at two apiece. But with a win, Phoenix will be able to go back to the desert with a three-one series lead at that point, and will be oh so close to capturing that franchise's first. NBA Finals World Championship. Over the weekend, you had Major League Baseball and its draft, and the Pittsburgh Pirates have drafted a Louisville Cardinal catcher, Henry Davis, with the number one draft pick. Vanderbilt hurler Jack Leiter, Al's son, he went number two to the Texas Rangers. And these young men now guaranteed to be quite rich when they go to uh, to their local bank account and check out their account in the very near future. Again, Pirates with Davis's pick at number one. Rangers with RH right-handed pitcher Jack Leiter of Vanderbilt. The Detroit Tigers selected pitcher Jackson Job. The Red Sox went with shortstop Marcelo Mayer. The Orioles went with Colton Kowser. Now, he has an interesting story. He played his college baseball at mighty Sam Houston State. A Bearcat outfielder is Colton Kowser. And he was named the Southland Conference Player of the Year as he batted 374, had 16 home runs, and is an offensive court, court uh, force there. Colton Kowser, again, chosen by the O's with the fifth pick. The Diamondbacks went with short uh, shortstop Jordan Lawler. Royals went with a pitcher, Frank Mazzucato. The Rockies with outfielder Benny Montgomery. Angels choosing Sam Backman, a pitcher. And then... Lastly, in the 10th pick of the top 10 picks of this year's Major League Baseball draft, the Mets went with the Vanderbilt hurler, right-hander Kumar Rocker, son of longtime college football assistant coach Tracy Rocker, and he went number 10 to the Mets. As, again, you had your opening round. Those were the top 10 picks in this year's Major League Baseball draft. To golf, and congratulations to South Carolina native Lucas Glover, the Clemson alum, 
ended a 10-year drought on the PGA Tour as he won Sunday's John Deere Classic from there in the four, what they call it, the Quad Cities of Illinois and Iowa there. And he gets the big victory, and I guess he gets a ticket to get on the plane and head over to the British Open. I think Lucas Glover is a U.S. Open champion. I think he's won one major in his career and now getting a big victory after 10 years of having struggles on the golf course. Lucas Glover, the winner. Also on the Senior Tour, they had the U.S. Senior Open, and congratulations to just an incredible golfer, Jim Furyk. He won by three at the U.S. Senior Open held over the weekend. And then in the ladies' round, the LPGA, they had Mother Nature play havoc there in Sylvania, Ohio, over the weekend. And Nasa Hatoka of Japan declared winner after only three rounds of the Marathon LPGA Classic when the final round on Sunday ended up being washed out by relentless heavy rain. And now Hatoka, with a six-shot lead over Mina Hreg and Elizabeth Skoll, she won her fourth time on the LPGA Tour. It was her first LPGA title in over two years. The Japanese golfer, another winner. The Japanese are doing really well in golf from winning this year's Masters in Augusta to now with the latest LPGA Tour winner. Congratulations there. And and good job on them. They win after only three rounds. They don't even have to play a fourth round because Mother Nature got in the way. To NASCAR over the weekend, Kyle Busch, he won beating his brother Kyle, I'm rather Kurt Busch won over Kyle. Am I getting all that right? It's confusing. It's hard enough when you have NASCAR Bush Beer, I know has been a sponsor in the past. I don't I guess they're not allowed to sponsor. So you got Bush Beer and if they're not sponsoring out there on the tracks of the South, they are somewhere in the coolers of all the folks in attendance at these Bush beer, yeah, Bush Light. Y'all know you probably have had a few of those in your time, perhaps. And then you got the Bush Brothers, in addition to the, the beverage called Bush, Kyle and Kurt Bush. And over the weekend, racing in Atlanta and NASCAR, Kurt Bush was able to get past his brother Kyle with 24 laps left and won the NASCAR Cup Series on Sunday in Atlanta at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And it was a very, very good weekend for the Bush brothers. So Kurt Bush, winner on Sunday over Kyle for you NASCAR lovers. You probably saw that action. I think NBCSN is where most of the NASCAR races find themselves now on Sundays because NBC, if you haven't tuned in lately on Sundays and really throughout the weekend, the main mothership of NBC, the broadcast channel that Probably you have a local affiliate in your town. Seems to turn into some kind of soccer channel. And over the weekend, you saw Italy defeat England, in case you're keeping score at home on the pitch. We won't talk about that stuff here on today's Y'all Show, okay? I'll, I'll spare you. When we come back, though, we will talk football like real football. As we return from the break, we're going to spotlight the East Carolina Pirates of the AAC. And we'll stop by Greenville as Greenville, North Carolina is our latest stop on our 44-city tour of the South. It's all ECU after the break. The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years, and the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. 
We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College football tour stop. Here's Johnny. Hiya, matey. Are you ready to talk about some college football in the South? We're on a 44-city tour, and we've got a lot of great places we're going to right now. But this week, we get things going in Green Vegas. It's the home of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, that is. And the Pirates have a big 2021 football season plan, and we're going to spend the next little bit talking about E.C. You, Mike Houston is the coach at East Carolina. He's now entering his third full season there at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Mike Houston won a national championship at James Madison a few years ago. He's also been the head coach at Lenore Ryan, and he did a fantastic job as head coach of the Citadel Bulldogs. And he won a Southern Conference title while in Charleston. He also defeated the South Carolina Gamecocks in his final year in Charleston before moving on to James Madison. Mike Houston, head coach at East Carolina. And this year, the Pirates begin their season, not in the friendly confines of Dowdy Ficklin. They'll be at Bank of America Stadium, where they'll be taking on the Appalachian State Mountaineers to open up the 2021 season. This is a Thursday night, September 2nd game when the Pirates and the Mountaineers together on ESPNU to open up the season. And then talk about a home opener on September 11th in Greenville. It's the South Carolina Gamecocks coming in for a big game. SEC comes to Dowdy Ficklin. Shane Beamer is the new coach at Carolina. And here East Carolina is going to welcome in the Gamecocks for a big game. East Carolina then gets underway with a game against Marshall on September 18th. And then they'll be painting at gold against Charleston Southern with a home game on September 25th. And then they'll be painting at purple when they have their home, or rather, yeah, their home conference opener against the Tulane Green Wave. That's October 2nd. UCF is a game on the road as well as Houston in mid-October. They'll be painting it black October 28th when the USF Bulls come into Greenville's Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. The Pirates will be taking on Temple at home before they over head over to Memphis to take on the Memphis Tigers on November 13th. Navy is a game that the Pirates will have to sail their ships away to Annapolis and play them there on the banks of the uh, Chesapeake. That game, November 20th, and then they wrap up the regular season at home against the Cincinnati Bearcats. That game is going to either be on a Friday or Saturday. They're still trying to to determine that for senior day of this year's 2021 East Carolina football team. ECU has won games in the past. They have been at times a team that was right there on the cusp of taking it to the next level, but for whatever reason, they just had some futility here of late. Their last conference title came back in 2009. They actually had two back-to-back years 2008-2009, I guess those were the Skip Holtz years in Greenville when they won a couple of titles in the conference they were playing in at that time. But this is a program that's been in a bunch of different conferences. Starting back in recent times, they were in the Southern Conference back from the 65 year till 76. Art Baker coached them during that time period. Then they were an independent for a number of years before joining CUSA in 1997. 
They were members of that conference until they joined the AAC starting in the 2014 football year. But East Carolina has won multiple conference championships. They've also gone to a number of bowl games. Their last bowl game was the Birmingham Bowl, where they lost a nail-biter to the Florida Gators that year, Ruffin McNeil coaching them at that time. Their last bowl win was the Beefo Brady's Bowl in 2013, a victory over the Ohio Bobcats. But right now, East Carolina needs to get off the mat. They've had not the best couple of years. McNeil ended up getting fired. He was a great quarterback, or rather a great, great player for them during his tenure as a player, then came back over to coach them. And I guess if you think about East Carolina players through the years, the most famous football player would have to be Jeff Blake, who went on to be a great NFL quarterback for the Bengals. I would say he has to be number one on the list of great ECU football players. Right now, they have potentially the coach that can turn around this program. A North Carolina native is Mike Houston. Mike Houston is 49 years young, and he will have a chance here in this next season, his third full season coaching East Carolina to get it turned around. He went 4-8 and eight his first year, 3-6 and six in 2020. That is not what he got hired to do. This is a guy prior to coming to Greenville, coached James Madison to a national championship. He, was, he had two back-to-back seasons where his Dukes won 14 games his final year. They lost in the second round of the playoffs, but they were 9-4 and four that particular year before he got hired at ECU. And he knows how to win. I've been around Mike Houston. The guy is – he's got that uh, pee and vinegar is, I guess, a best, the best way of explaining it. He was hired as East Carolina's 22nd head coach at the end of 2018, and he needs to turn things around especially now that he's making close to $1.5 million a year there in Greenville. People want to – they want a winner. So the Pirates and the 2021 season, again, they started in Charlotte this year. Phil Steele, he's a guy that knows a little bit of college football's goings-on, and he has an article up at Hoist the Colors, and that's a 247sports.com affiliate. He weighs in on ECU's 2021 season. You can go check that out if you would like, but – Yes, as Steele writes in the magazine, Mike Houston took over a rebuild, especially on the defense where they have struggled stopping the run. This year they have 10 starters back on both offense and defense. They own wins over just five FBS foes in his first two years, but coaches usually have a big third year, and this is the one Pirate fans have been clamoring for. East Carolina makes my most improved list, which means they get to their first bowl in seven years. That, again, according to Phil Steele, who knows a thing or two, again, about college football, and he examines and weighs in on various programs around the country. And one of the reasons ECU might have a big turnaround this year is their quarterback, the left-hander, Holton Ehlers. He was a third-team preseason AAC pick. They also have Rajah Harris in the backfield as a running back and a very good linebacker in Xavier Smith helping them out. So keep an eye, again, for this team, as Phil still predicts, might just be a turnaround team. And, again, what little I know about Mike Houston, he's not going to put up with subpar football. He's going to do everything in his power to get this program back to where East Carolina fans want it to be. And with the opportunity to knock off Appalachian State in a neutral site setting week one, and then to turn around and have South Carolina coming in, a game in Greenville 
not in Columbia. This is a game where the Gamecocks will be wearing white. They'll be the visitors, and the fans there in Dowdy-Ficklin will be fired up for that game against Shane Beamer's Gamecocks on September 11th. That game already set for a national audience. ESPN2 is where that high noon kickoff happens on that second weekend of college football on September 11th. So we'll have more on ECU football in today's Y'all Show. When we come back into the third hour of today's program, we're going to let you know more about some famous alumni of East Carolina University. Also, we'll let you know about the traditions of game day on the ECU campus. Plus, if you go to ECU, a little personal note, you will even find it's the only college in America that I'm aware of that has a building that's named after me. Not technically my first name, but it's named after a distant cousin of mine. You'll find Rawl Hall on the campus of East Carolina. And sure enough, that person, a person related to me distantly, a former faculty member who was killed in a plane crash many, many years ago. So check that out if you will. I know all of you East Carolina fans and alumni know exactly where Rawl Hall is on the ECU campus. That's where the party is, right? (laughs) When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to have a party. We're going to let you know about some Southern history from the British leaving Savannah to Woody Guthrie and Ida B. Wells. All that ahead as we wrap up this first hour of Talk with a Southern Accent. Back into y'all wrapping up this first hour of our Getting the Week Started edition of Talking About Everything Southern. And we take a little time here to wrap up this first hour with a look at Southern history. And y'all remember the year 1782? It was in this week, 1782, that the British evacuated Savannah, Georgia. This amazing town on the coast there, the Atlantic coast of the Peach State. As the American Revolution was coming to a close, 1782 Georgia, the site of many bloody battles during the American Revolution between patriots and loyalists. Well, at least the loyalists decided to pack up and leave Savannah. They actually went up the coast to Charleston. I guess Charleston was a little bit more British-friendly in 1782, although not for very long. But, yeah, Savannah became all patriot starting this week in 1782. And again, after the surrender of General Cornwallis at Yorktown, the Parliament ended up deciding to abandon the colonies, if you will, and troops began leaving Savannah, heading to places like Charleston and more, and some of the local leaders of Savannah fled to Charleston. And this week in 1782, James Jackson of the Georgia Legion, those were patriots fighting on the American side, if you will. He marched into Savannah to reclaim the capital city of Georgia. The Georgia House of Assembly met in Savannah on the 13th of July, 1782, and took control of Georgia once and for all. 
And if you ever look at a map of Georgia in the revolutionary time period, there were only about seven or eight counties in Georgia. Camden, Glenn, Liberty County, Chatham County, which is where Savannah is, Effingham County, Burke, Richmond, Wilkes. The rest of Georgia were all Indian lands, Cherokee lands in the north and Creek lands from Atlanta downward all the way to the Florida line. As Georgia was just a little tiny sliver essentially along the Atlantic and Savannah River areas of the state. So pretty amazing stuff. Really only two cities or towns of note in colonial Georgia. Augusta on the Savannah River at the fall line of the Savannah River just across from South Carolina. And then Savannah just across from South Carolina right there where the Savannah River dumps out into the Atlantic Ocean. Some revolutionary era history here as we wrap up the first hour. Also this week in Southern history, we celebrate the birthday of Woody Guthrie, the American singer-songwriter and one of the most famous figures in American folk music. He was born this week in 1912. July 14th was the day that Woody Guthrie was born in Oklahoma. And I'm going to let you hear a little bit of the most famous song that Woody Guthrie penned. I'm sure you've heard this one a few times in your life. As he was born in Okama, Oklahoma, 1912. This land was made for you and me. Woody Guthrie, born this week in 1912. Now, interesting, if you look into his background, throughout his life, Guthrie was associated with U.S. communist groups, although he did not appear to belong to any of them. He had a non-aggression pact with the U.S. and the Soviet Union at the start of the World War II time period. Woody Guthrie was a popular figure at that time. In February 1940, he wrote this song that you're hearing, This Land is Your Land. He said it was a response to what he felt was the overplaying of Irving Berlin's God Bless America on the radio. So he decided to come up with his own response. And I learned this song when I was about six years old at a kindergarten play. So I've been a little partial to Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land. And Woody Guthrie died at the age of 56 in 1967. The Oklahoma native Woody Guthrie, born this week in 1912. Now, this person here was not born in the South. In fact, I'm telling you this story because I had never heard about the birth city and the fact that this person ended up becoming a president. Did you realize that we have had a president of the United States named Leslie Lynch King Jr.? Leslie Lynch King Jr., born this week in 1913. And Leslie King Jr., ended up becoming the 38th president of the United States because ultimately his name got changed to Gerald Rudolph Ford Jr. (laughs) And he took over when President Nixon resigned in 1974. I did not realize that Gerald Ford was born with a different name. I did not realize that Gerald Ford was actually born in Omaha, Nebraska. Mr. Michigan was born in Nebraska and died in California. How weird is that? But yes, Gerald Ford with a birthday this week, the 38th president of the United States. Also born this week in 1862 
was investigative journalist, educator, and an early leader in the civil rights movement. She's actually credited with being one of the founders of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, a.k.a. NAACP. Ida B. Wells, born this week in 1862 in Holly Springs, Mississippi. She was born on the bowling farm near Holly Springs. She was the eldest child of James Madison Wells and Lizzie Warrington. And I didn't realize this, that James Wells' father was a white man. So Ida B. Wells was, what, one-fourth white, it looks like. And I guess born a slave there in Holly Springs, Mississippi. She would go on to, again, help form the NAACP. She wrote for the Memphis Free Speech and Headlight newspaper, and she documented lynching in the United States in the 1890s, and her work certainly was breaking at the time. In fact, just last year, Ida B. Wells was posthumously awarded the Pulitzer Prize Special Citation for her outstanding and courageous reporting on the horrific and vicious violence against blacks during the era of lynching. That, again, last year she got a Pulitzer Prize citation from Ida B. Wells. And this past weekend in Memphis, a town that she worked in not far from Holly Springs, her birth city, Memphis honored Ida B. Wells with a brand-new statue and a plaza just outside of the FedEx Forum in downtown Memphis. And it was part of a whole series of events during the week to honor the former Memphis resident. A life-size bronze statue of Ida B. Wells, who lived in Memphis for 10 years in the late 1800s, erected there just offside, just to the off, to the down the street from FedEx Forum. And that unveiling officially is not until the 16th. So we got, I guess Friday is the, that six, maybe Thursday is the day that, it's it's there, I've seen the picture of it but they're going to officially dedicate this thing on July 16th. And Memphis is a week-long celebration of Ida B. Wells' life and legacy. There'll be a community prayer service in Memphis, a parade, and a visit to a prominent lynching site in Memphis, all as part of a celebration of Ida B. Wells, born this week in Holly Springs, Mississippi, in 1862. And that is a quick look at some Southern history here, on today's Y'all Show, we got it all covered from football to civil rights heroes to Confederate people and statues being removed. We tell you about all that. And we even tell you about record catfish being caught in North Carolina. We haven't told you about that, but we will before the show's up today. I guarantee you that. When the Y'all Show comes back after this break, stay tuned. We've got a whole nother hour of talk about the South. We've got some more headlines coming across from across the southeast. Maybe we'll have that catfish story to tell you. Also, we've got our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short. He's going to discuss the NCAA and their new name image likeness controversy. All that ahead in hour two of the show that is all Southern. Coming to you loud and clear with three hours of Southern Conversation. I'm General John Rawl. Good to have you back here. We've got a full hour, including a 
dropping in by our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, is going to be on with us in a handful of minutes. I tell you, you don't want to miss out on any time Jerry's in the building, and he'll be dropping by with conversation about the NCAA and their infinite wisdom. All that's coming up here in the second hour of Talking About the South. Plus, don't forget, hour three today, we're going to go back and tell you more about the East Carolina Pirates as ECU is our latest stop on our 4040 city odyssey across the South's college football towns. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us here. If you've got something to say about the Southeast, we want to hear from all y'all. We start out this hour with a look at more entertainment news, more sports news, more news in general. In fact, we'll just keep it on the news in general as we start this hour up. And as promised, I've got something to tell you about Confederate statues. I know you've been waiting on your daily Confederate statue report here on the Y'all Show. And boy, there were some excited people in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday as after many, many years of efforts, the crowd erupted, at least some of them, if, if not most of them, erupted there at what was once Robert E. Lee Square. Now I think it's called Emancipation Square in Charlottesville. They hauled off one of the greatest figures in Virginia's history, one of the greatest figures in Southern history, and frankly one of the best figures in American history. Robert E. Lee's statue taken away on a flatbed trailer in Charlottesville over the weekend as there's another Lee statue taken down. All this, I think, started in New Orleans with Mitch Landry at Lee Circle, and now in Richmond they are still trying to take Lee down there, although I don't think they've had – they got a little bit of a fight there from some there on Monument Row in Richmond. But in Charlottesville, after all the years of trying, and back in 2016 you had that Unite the Right rally, which I did not like the violence. I did not like the fact that you had some evil people there. In fact, one person killed an innocent woman there when he drove his car down the street and killed her. But people don't realize that you have a right to protest in this country. Even if you are a terrible person, if you're not violating the laws, you have a right to protest. And I don't like the fact that these some of these terrible people came there to protest the possible removal of Robert E. Lee in 2016. I would have... You know, if, if you like history, if you if you feel compelled to do it, you might would have gone there to try to stop the local authorities from doing this. It still didn't make it any anywhere close to being okay that somebody lost their life by a car of all things. And I remember watching that thing in 2016 on a Saturday, I think it was, and for hours, hours, the police stood in the shadows and let these people go at it. Both the Antifa-type people, and some of these unite-the-right skinheads, if you will. I don't know where these people came from. They, I think, came from various angles. Some maybe more on the preservation side. Some maybe on they came there with helmets on. They were ready for a clash. And for hours, if you watched it, and I did, the police didn't do anything. They let these people go at it. I watched CNN at least one time for 10 minutes a person coming to counter protest it took them about 10 minutes to lift up a newspaper stand and throw it at the unite the right type people if a cop would have been anywhere near there he could have tried to avoid i have this person picking this thing up this thing was so heavy literally for about 10 minutes this person tried to pick this thing up and nobody tried to stop him i didn't like the fact that some of the people there trying to defend the statue 
were walking around with their AR-15s and they had their camouflage on. They looked like they were actual uniformed members of law enforcement or even special forces. These guys tried to intimidate, and that was what they were doing was legal or else they would have been arrested for it, but it just was really creepy. And so this this unfortunate great Southerner, as I call him, Robert E. Lee's, his legacy tarnished when things like that happened in 2016. And then this past weekend, after a long fight, the statue of Lee and the statue of Thomas Jonathan Stonewall Jackson both removed from Charlottesville in Virginia, a state where these guys up until just a few years ago were, just like I was saying, two of the most revered people you could have had in the Commonwealth of Virginia and their history. And now both of these statues hauled off, and we don't know where these things are going. The city of Charlottesville putting them into storage. That's the common thing going back to Landry and New Orleans. You put it in storage and it's forgotten about. And that's what's happening here, it looks like. But these aren't the only two statues coming down in Charlottesville and in that portion of Virginia. In fact, I saw an interview with the young lady as a high school student that started the petition to get these statues removed. And she said very clearly, and this is no surprise, she wants all Confederate statues taken down all over the country. And I'm sorry, I I just don't think it's any of her business to decide what another town, another state might do with their own way that they are honoring history. And, of course, the media makes this youngster a hero because here you saw over the weekend they took these statues down. Now, it's not just an assault on Confederate stuff. If you look at the news from the weekend in Charlottesville, they didn't just haul off Robert E. Lee and they just didn't haul off Stonewall Jackson. They also hauled off over the past weekend statues of Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea as statues toppled after the city removed two Confederate statues that same day. Now, these destruction of these Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea statues were not endorsed by the city. It looks like crowds got out of control. In fact, they were fired up. Why wouldn't they be? Here, after all these years of effort, these statues that had fought so hard against are hauled off on a truck. So why not keep up the momentum and just go ahead and remove Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea? The emergency meeting held 20 minutes notice emergency meeting held over the weekend by Charlottesville City Council, which voted unanimously to cancel another piece of public art targeted by left-wing activists. I'm not sure what that's about, but yeah. They toppled more artwork in Charlottesville over the past weekend. Also, in that same town in Virginia, they are at UVA, the nearby university, are going to remove a statue of George Rogers Clark. His statue on the campus expected to take several days to be removed, but will be carried out by the same contractor who removed the Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson statues. The statue's depiction of American Indians led to calls for its removal, and now the Board of Visitors of UVA approved this statue removal of George Rogers Clark, a figure from the early settling of Virginia, I guess the revolutionary time period. I'm not as familiar with him as I should be. I apologize. But I know that George Rogers Clark had nothing to do with the Confederacy, and here his name being dragged into another statue coming down. And just this one city, 
Sacagawea, Lewis and Clark, Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, and now George Rogers Clark, who was a surveyor, soldier, and a Virginia militia officer who became the highest-ranking American patriot military officer on the northwestern frontier during the Revolutionary War. As George Rogers Clark was from Albemarle County in Virginia, and again, was a general in the Revolutionary War, fighting for the Patriots, and dying, he died in 1818. So nothing to do with the Confederate stuff, but he gets a statue taken down at, at UVA. Now, again, I hate to bore you with statue talk, but let me let you know part of the reason this is going on in Virginia It's because Virginia, like a lot of southern states, has come up with, in recent years, state laws to protect statues. They had this on the books in Virginia. But in the April time period of this year, the Virginia Supreme Court had an opinion that came down that said, oh, you can remove statues because although there was a 1996 law, I think it was 96, that protected statues, oh, that doesn't affect statues that were erected before that same year. As Judge Bernard Goodwin of Virginia Supreme Court wrote in his opinion that Charlottesville could remove the statues because they were erected before the adoption of a state law that prohibits cities from disturbing or interfering with monuments and memorials once they are in place. That doesn't make any sense. So if you have a statue that's 25 years old, it's not protected. But if you go out there and put one up today, it's protected? Come on. That is just insane. And that's what they ruled. And that's why now in Virginia you're seeing the complete removal of all kinds of statues. And unfortunately, I believe this is going to continue on a downward trajectory across the southeast as we move on along Well, at Howard University in Washington, D.C., they're about to put up a statue. I'm I'm not saying they are, but they're going to, I'm pretty sure, of one of their most famous alums. In fact, she just might be their most famous alumnae, and that is the Vice President Kamala Harris. Because Kamala Harris, a Howard University alum, is part of the excitement going on at this HBCU in our nation's capital. Talk about some of the positive things at this one school Not only does the current vice president call Howard their alumni, their their, their alma mater, but also Thurgood Marshall, Stokely Carmichael, Toni Morrison, the Nobel laureate. And you just had the other day the journalist Nicole Jones turn down UNC's tenure to go to be a teacher at Howard University. You also, maybe even more important, Felicia Rashad, of the Cosby Show, has become a faculty member at Howard University in Washington, D.C., and that's her alma mater, too. And so Howard, they're getting a lot of money poured into there, and it's just just on a roll. So congratulations to this HBCU in Washington, D.C., for the role that they're on, and I think they're the bison, so I can just tell all the bison folks out there to uh, keep it going. Because right now, Howard has a pretty high fan in the, not Oval Office, but I think she'll be there pretty soon. That's just a guess. (laughs) I think she'll be there sooner than later. I'm saying before 2024 gets here. 
But you'll have a statue regardless. All right, let me tell you one more story. This comes to us from Memphis, and you may have heard me on past shows talk about during my time living in Memphis, I had to fight off the rats of the city of Memphis. And I'm serious when I say rats, real rats. I'm talking four-legged rats. Memphis has rats that are about at least three feet tall. (laughs) Okay, two feet tall. I've seen them. They've scared the you-know-what out of me. And how about this disturbing story? I'm going to have to quickly get through it because it's going to make me a little bit nauseous to tell you. But the Tennessee Department of Commerce and Insurance has issued a fine against a cemetery in the Memphis area, the Forest Hill Funeral Home and Memorial Park, and that's off of Witten Road, this particular location of Forest Hill Funeral Home and Memorial Park. And that is a company that's owned by Stonemore, the parent company, a rat infestation was led to let go on for nearly a year inside their body preparation building at their Witten Road location at Forest Hill Funeral Home, and those rats caused harm to two bodies in their care, according to a complaint submitted to the state by a former manager. State officials presented their findings in a meeting in May, and it's just a disturbing story. Your loved ones being... You can fill in the blanks here, but... How about that? Rats into a funeral home area of Memphis and the cemetery cited for having these rats causing harms to bodies as they were being getting ready for, I guess, preparation for the for the ever after. Troubling stories. Hope hope that uh, is nipped in the bud there in the Bluff City. We've got more headlines we'll get to in hour number three of today's y'all show, including Stories about manatees. See, we're going to move over from talking about nasty rats to talking about manatees. Unfortunately, the news is not great out of the Sunshine State in terms of manatees. Plus, in North Carolina, a man has set a new state record for catching a 127-pound catfish. All that plus Jimmy Carter and Dolly Part news coming your way in our final hour look at headlines across the southeast. When we get back after this break, Jerry Short, he's our Takapola storyteller, and he'll be dropping by with a report. He's got something to say about the NCAA. Jerry, a longtime sports writer, will get his take on what's going on with the NCAA and NIL, name, image, and likeness. All that is up after the break. Back into talk with a southern accent with your host, John Rawl. It's time now on the show all about the South to welcome in our Takapola storyteller. He is Jerry Short, and we've been having Jerry come on this show for a number of years. And at times in years past, Jerry's echoed a little bit about his experience of going across the entire country on the sports beat. As Jerry has been a correspondent for a Mississippi-based newspaper, and he has in the past gone on sports assignments to just about every SEC stadium and town and more. 
And we're going to utilize that great sports experience of Jerry Short to bring him on today on the Y'all Show and talk a little sports and especially sports in the NIL world. Jerry Short, welcome back into the Y'all Show. Well, how's it going, John? It's good to see you again after a nice holiday, I hope you had. Yeah, I had a nice holiday, of course. The official holiday being on a Monday. We weren't able to get with you, our Takapola storyteller, last week. But we're going to make up for it here, making up for lost time on today's show. Hope you're ready. Oh, I'm ready. I was babysitting this time last week. Were you babysitting a human or a dog? <laughs> babysitting three dogs. One inside and two. I mean, two inside and one outside. And how did and, that work uh, out for you? Well, I'm a nervous wreck. <laughs> and the house is in threads. But other than that, we're okay. I think I, you, my, you, you and I talked midweek through. last week. And yeah. honestly, we love our pets. Dogs are, and dogs and cats can be wonderful additions to any family. But in, if you're not used to it, and if you haven't had one around, especially you getting uh, two to handle there for a couple of days, it sounds like it can be a real change of life for you. Insect. It was. As a matter of fact, and to keep them from going to the restroom tonight, I slept with them. No way. For seven consecutive nights. Both. And you're a married guy. Is your was your and wife yeah, okay with that? Middle, I moved to a middle bedroom. Then I tried the couch. And then I threw a uh, a small, uh, not a king queen size or a regular mattress on the floor for the last night. So I could stretch out. So uh, I may can talk, and I may not. I may bark a little. <laughs> I'll try to keep it straight. Well, I hope you at least got paid lots of money for your babysitting oh, or always, dog sitting you know, experience. When you're doing it for your children, you know it's uh, you get paid with love, and uh, so that's the main thing. You know, and they're having fun. They're on the beach, and they're having fun, and I've got the dog. And my wife, if I can't that cut her, boy, she really had to clean all day. She vacuumed and wiped and cleaned and mopped the floor and oh mercy. And I've got a little woodwork damage for one scratched on the uh, facing of the back door. So I've got to sand that down and repaint. Hmm. So other than that, everything's lovely. Jerry, you know? I know you did the best you could and i know you were as you said kind of tied down on k9 patrol the last couple of days you might have missed out on some of these breaking news items from the college football world the college sports world too because this affects more than just the pigskin we have had in the last couple of weeks the passage of the ncaa of the nil name image and likeness essentially if you're a college athlete you can now profit off of your name, your image, your likeness, and a lot of these athletes are getting paid. And we got to get Jerry Short, a guy who's covered SEC football in the past. We got to get your take on what this thing means. Uh, hey, I've covered Michigan too, <laughs> but uh, you know, my opinion would probably not agree. I probably wouldn't. A lot of people won't agree with me, but uh, I think there should be student athletes as they like to. Uh, be called by the administration of most of these universities. And uh, I don't know how you can be a student athlete and uh, have an agent, which I think they're allowed. Uh, I know the Mississippi law allows you to, uh, if you notify your 
uh, athletic department administration three days in advance, you can get an agent to help you uh, get some of these endorsements. So, uh, and some of them are running into big money. And I just see lots of trouble down the road. And I hadn't done any studying on this recently, but I've thought about it for far since the 50s. Because I saw Cokes in the stadium at uh, Ole Miss and watched the uh, so-called handshake as the players left after a game. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rich alumni would shake old, uh, not call any names, but uh, shake some star's hand. And, you know, a lot would be left out. And he might put a 20 in somebody's hand, might put a 100 in somebody. Now, I know one of Ole Miss's uh, most famous players denies that he ever got a penny. But I've seen a lot of handshakes on that gentleman. But uh, anyway, uh, I think it can only lead to more wealthy handshakes. And uh, it, it's just a lot of things that we've got to dig into. You know, I don't know. This day and time, America, everything's got to be done immediately. You know, they could do this. They could put limitations on this. I think the Supreme Court had to overrule another hearing in the lower court. And then immediately the NCAA uh, went straight for this program. And uh, Alabama, I believe, has already got 16 or 17 players. And that goes – I even noticed where they had a – and this is perfectly fine, but they had a wheelchair basketball player that got an endorsement. And I didn't even know they had such a sport there. Uh, that may be one of the uh, uh, some that they that added, or I, you know, it may be like at, uh, some of these other colleges down south, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Now they have hockey teams that are kind of sponsored by some of the alumni and pay uh, their well, way. They're, they're club play. sports, and they're not necessarily officially right, with the right. athletic department. But they're where they use the name. You know, mm-hmm. they call themselves Ole Miss playing Mississippi State. Now, they may be playing in Tupelo or South Haven. I think Ole Miss's hockey uh, arena is in uh, uh, South Haven, which is Memphis. And uh, uh, Mississippi State's is in Tupelo, I believe. So, anyway, back to this other situation that we've got. You know, they need to look deeper into all these things. Because I, you know, I, this is just an opinion, but, I, you know, I can see it uh, just causing – conflicts among each players individually. Uh, everybody's not equal in, as an athlete, obviously. And uh, there's always going to be one better. So does he get $25 an hour and the other one gets uh, $1? Uh, does a different sport get uh, less or more? Uh, are they looking for that great athlete? And I noticed where some gymnastics girls and and I believe there's two uh, softball uh, ladies in uh, California that are twins, maybe girls, and they're getting big. Uh, they're gonna get big endorsements because they they're uh, on the internet so much and they've got they've got so many followers that you know whoever wanting to endorse them is gonna jump on that. And they're at Fresno State, not exactly a powerhouse school. No, I mean I don't, I don't, I didn't know who they were till I noticed that that uh, they were maybe in for a million dollars. And uh, then uh, I think there's uh, uh, 
gymnast somewhere that's in for a million and 18 year old person i think you have to be 18. at one time i thought you could get it but if you if you're 18 and still in high school you know if you look at some say some great player and you know i'm more familiar with this area there's a real great player in new orleans at uh, newman high school and uh that uh he had a he had uh his daddy played there his uh two uncles played there and uh he uh, he's coming out of college this year everybody's wanting him. coming out of he's high quarterback. school i mean out of high school everyone is wanting him. so the bidding will be on for him now who can give more money i've seen he's had it listed to texas georgia old miss now old miss's biggest backers probably FedEx or someone like that, maybe. Now, will FedEx offer him so much? Or a Texas, Texas got a zillion, zillion all, 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 all people, you know, that can back out there. So what do you get? You get in a fight for that. Is everybody going to be satisfied with that? That's got to catch, be a receiver for this quarterback that you just got a $20 million deal, maybe? Now, I don't know if they get to keep this money. You may know. You may have read into it. Do they get to keep the money up front, or is it delayed a year or two? How, how are they doing that, John? I think it's the Wild West, Jerry. And I yeah. assume that if you're a high school student in most states, if not every state, you can already be making money off your name, image, and likeness. So, really, there's no amateurism left, and you can go no, on and make no. money – and in this case, you're talking about a Manning, Arch Manning, the youngster out of Newman High School in yeah. the New Orleans area. This guy could make multi-millions of dollars before he ever sets foot on a college campus. Right. He's got a granddaddy who was the highest paid pro uh, player, Archie, when he played. He's got an uncle who, when he played Peyton, who was the highest paid it was in the pros when he played. And he's got another uncle, Eli who was the highest paid when he played. And you got two first-round draft picks and a second round in Archie. Now, that sales. That, that if, Well, they do commercials anyway. Sure. You know, they make big money doing commercials anyway as pros. And, and so his father he, is an example from this whole NIL, too, now being available to 18-year-olds because it, it was Cooper Manning who went to the University of Mississippi in what was supposed to be his freshman season – that was diagnosed with something in his spine, and he could no longer play football. So that's why he never played college football or went to the NFL. That's right. And so Arch Manning, this is Manning, his son, this is his yep. son and, mm-hmm. and and that's a an example of somebody who, imagine if Arch Manning, or Cooper Manning rather, would have had the opportunity to make some kind of money back when he was 18 and then ended up never playing professional football. This gives kids a chance to start making money because they may never make money because they may never, may never get to the professional level. That's true. But, the, you know, the negative thing is, are you going to be an amateur or are you going to be a professional? Now, that's what has always drawn me to college uh, athletics, which I'm not a big college sports fan anymore. And I've been to – I probably covered for a newspaper 200 football games. And I probably covered four or five hundred baseball games, and I probably covered three hundred basketball games, and then I sold cokes, and so I probably saw three or four hundred 
total football game, college football game. I've seen about five or six teams from the Big Ten or more. I've seen them, everybody from the Old Southwest. Seen everybody from the SEC, obviously. Seen 90% of the independents play. Been in their stadiums. Man, I've even been in the stadium at Wyoming, which is, you know, at the time was like a high school stadium. And you actually drove to Wyoming. Well, I went through the Montana way and on up to (laughs) Glacier and come back around. (laughs) But I did drive, yeah, I did. And uh, one year I covered uh, uh, four bowl games. And... uh, from the Liberty Bowl in Memphis to the uh, All-American Bowl that Brett Favre played in, to the, uh, uh, that was in Birmingham, went on to uh, uh, Peach Bowl, and then went on down and saw Michigan really kick Ole Miss. And uh, so, you know, uh, I've seen a few, and I've been around a lot of athletes and been around a lot of players. And, you know, when I look back at how many athletes that I think would be uh, fitting person for this and I can go back to like a Deuce McAllister with it Ole Miss now you know he, he was a really good guy and maybe he deserved it and I don't think the rest of the team would have been jealous but it's going to be some jealousy in this thing and uh, I, I just uh, I feel like uh, you're either an amateur or you're not I think you're getting paid plenty money uh, to go to college I've sent two to uh to major colleges and fraternities and sororities and uh, it's cost a fortune and uh, they're getting there plus they get tutors uh, Ole Miss has got the FedEx uh, academic center and uh, they get a tutor and they they get time in there they got weight room facilities they get all their meals they live off campus now since they did away with the uh, uh, on campus athletic dorms because the Big Ten didn't want to have to build those. And uh, they used to spend lots of money on that. Now, I know it's become a money sport. Uh, football, obviously, is the number one moneymaker at most universities. But what are these non-making, non-profit sports going to do uh, when they have one athlete, maybe, that uh, somebody wants, and they offer them this big money? What are the other ones going to do? What are the kids going to do? Are they going to uh, say, hey, if I work out a lot more, if I hit that weight room and stay out of that academic room and, and, and I've got a better shot at, at getting, this, uh, getting this money early, like as a sophomore or a junior max, you know, can I go ahead and do that and not study? Don't worry about that. But I won't need, you won't need the money. Uh, from a job, you, if you can get money from a, if you can sign a, a pro contract in anything, uh, you don't have to worry about academics. And if we're going to call them student athletes, John, I think they should be student athletes. And I know that that sounds old fashioned to a lot of people that are probably listening to me, but that's exactly the way I believe. And uh, I yeah. think I, I, I just see lots of problems. Uh, Jerry, you just brought up one point. We're talking with Jerry Short, our Takapolo storyteller. You talked about teams going to bowl games, and there's not a single bowl out there in college football that doesn't have a payout of at least a million dollars per team. Oftentimes, it's a lot more than that. So, Jerry, are we now at a point that these college players are going to profit 
themselves off of going to a bowl game? Uh, well, they do now. They give them X amount of money to go and travel. And, you know, they'll turn them loose and they'll say, you know, we'll meet at uh, Jacksonville or uh, wherever the bowl may be, New Orleans or Pasadena or whatever. But they got travel money and they got food money and they got everything else. And, you know, so, uh, yeah. And I'm sure if you got a really good player and he may have just got the Heisman Trophy and you're playing in one of these top uh, six games, uh, hey, no telling what kind of endorsements you can draw. And what's the other what's the other bunch on that team going to think? I mean, are they going? I've seen te- I've seen teams lay down. I've seen players lay down. You know, I've stood on the sideline and seen them lay down. And you know, you it, it, it's a, it becomes a mental a mental thing. And it's obvious. I've been real obvious to me when a team may get down and behind a little bit. Hey, the other the other nine ten will lay down sometimes. You know, and sometimes all of them will lay down if they get out. And I, I remember the first time I ever saw that, I liked to faint it because in the old days, when you didn't have all this stuff except that handshake, um, you knew just about where every player on that team was going to graduate. And you knew almost what high school they played in. And then later on, you knew that they became a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer or something in life and you run across them or a big businessman that they was able to do on their own and they got it out of school and just about it wasn't like uh, a few i mean if you had you know if you could sign back in the old days that you could get a hundred players and that's i think what it's 25 a year but you can't have but like 80 something on scholarship at a time so what what you do uh you got those other players that you know I'd say out of, if you've got 84, I would say in the old days, and I hate to keep bringing up old days, yeah. but in the old days. That's what we got you on here for. Up. You're the storyteller. <laughs> but but in the old days, hey, you'd go in a Chevrolet place or a car dealership and shake hands with a guy that was a right guard on the uh, uh, Ole Miss uh, Cotton Bowl team in 56, and he owns a car dealership today. Or there's one of Archie's receivers, Mike Hyde, biggest car dealer in the world out of Houston, Texas, because he played for the Oilers a little bit later. But they all amounted to something is what I'm kind of getting at, you know. And they got a and they got a good degree, and they got good they got money to go to college, and you know they got they got fed. They look. I've been on recruiting trips, and I've I've been in the dorms with them. Especially at Mississippi State, had the best ice cream in the world. But uh, <laughs> eat eat at the training table with them, and hey, you would you'd think you was in hog heaven. Now I know this is a different day and a different time, and they go out and they eat a lot of. Uh, they'll they, we talked one day I think about me doing some DoorDash, and I saw some athletes, uh, and they'll call for McDonald's and stuff like that, you know. So uh, it's it's a different world. They don't have, they don't have a training table anymore, but they've got one if they want to use it. It's you know it's if they have one, but they don't have to use. It. Yeah. And it's usually stays open most of the day. So, and it's they have good food and they don't have to pay. Because I've been in them and they didn't pay and I did. But uh, there again, I just feel like uh, 
a student athlete is a student athlete and uh, a pro person is a professional and there's a difference and I think that's what makes the game but it's a it's a new day and a new time and uh, a lot of people aren't like me they don't get turned off by knowing that those people are playing not for the love of the game as much as for the profit of the game that they individually can pocket yeah. and you know, I'm not pointing a finger at any individual at all, but that's human nature. And uh, I'd probably do the same thing. I mean, I'd be licking my chops right now if uh, I was being recruited by somebody and and I was just getting ready to turn 18. And hey, I knew I was that uh, I would had a great high school career. You know, I can I can look back and uh, I know one high school player that was an All American that. Uh, uh, ended up going to Oklahoma and he was from Mississippi and uh, he went to Oklahoma and he comes back here and uh, he quit out there. They found out that uh, they, they'd give him a few things and you know he, he had a car and he had stuff like that and he came back and he went to Mississippi Southern and he signed with one of those you know they have those uh, franchises and different yeah. like World Football League or Yeah, you're talking about Marcus Dupree is who you're talking about Marcus Dupree. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Out of Philadelphia, so, Mississippi. Yeah, and he goes on down there. To New Orleans and, for the uh, Breakers. Get, yeah, to the Breakers and gets hurt. And then and I can tell you another one that had turf toe. It played for Ole Miss, and he was like the number one recruiting recruit running back in the country. And uh, he ended up playing. Uh, he played for Coach Brewer one year, and he did pretty good. He got a uh, contract with the Los Angeles uh, team. And um, later, when I'm buying timber, going in a sawmill in a town in central North Mississippi, uh, he's living in a government apartment complex. So, uh, you know, it don't always work out. No, but this NIL is definitely going to change the way things are handled. And Jerry, of course, with his own thoughts on that, Definitely someone who's been in on the inside of a lot of this college football stuff through the decades. It's a whole new game. And Jerry Short, we had you on here today to talk to us about your thoughts on this thing. Something that we knew you'd know a lot about. Jerry, I think you know a lot about the next topic that we're going to bring you on after the break and have a discussion. I'm going to leave you a cliffhanger as we go to break. But I guarantee you know a little bit about this subject and we're going to get you to weigh in on it as the Y'all Show, our time with the Takapola Storyteller, continues right after this break. And we're back on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. John Rawl getting you through this start of the week edition of the show that is all things Southern. Our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, is on with us. And we're having a great discussion, as we always do when we have him on. And earlier, if you missed it, he talked all about the new NIL name, image, and likeness rules that are now in effect for NCAA athletes. 
Jerry, I'm having you on now to talk about something else that I know you know a fair amount about, and that is, are you ready for it? I'm trying to think what it might be, but I'm ready. Throw it. I'm going to have you talk to us about aging. Oh, my gosh. What are you doing? Hit my number one topic. (laughs) (laughs) I should know more about anything. And I'm, I'm having you talk about growing old because I think you've done it pretty well. And the reason I'm having you on is I want to get your thoughts. And it's not about what you've done. It's what you haven't done, but also kind of weigh in on people of your same age bracket, et cetera. Jerry, what is your thoughts on plastic surgery? Oh, my gosh. Because I don't think you've had any done yourself. And if you have. No, I I mean, I wouldn't even put a tattoo on myself. But, uh, no, I hadn't had any of that done. I've had... uh, big cancer cut across my forehead. <laughs> well, that's and, not uh, the same. I'm talking about somewhere. people that do plastic surgery for cosmetic well, improvement. I know one, and, and the lady is deceased, but she was a beautiful woman. She was Miss America. Literally? And, uh, yeah, she went to Ole Miss. She was, 19, she was a 1959 Miss America, Marianne Mobile. And uh, she did uh, she did some uh, movies. She did two movies with Elvis Presley. And uh, she married Gary Collins, and they well, she died uh, not too awful long ago, a couple of years down. Uh, I think she was in Biloxi. Uh, that's where they buried uh, her and Gary Collins both. But uh, anyway, she was Miss America, and uh, and a really beautiful girl. And uh, I saw her at they did a they did a thing that I covered. I do a lot of freebies, John. Yeah. I, I covered a thing called Mississippi Rising after the uh, uh, Hurricane Katrina. I was covering and, uh, that, too. Was, I saw you there. You did see me good. And Well, Mary Ann uh, was there also. And uh, Mary Ann, I hadn't seen her in a long time. And we had a, we had a, we had a meeting about the concert that I got to cover. And, and uh, we had a speaker or two back there. One of them was a... Uh, majority leader of the Senate, as a matter of fact, that I asked a question I think he's probably still mad at me about. But um, Mary Ann was back there, and, and I could see her face was getting really tight. You could tell, you know, with as much money and as lucrative as she had been, her face was getting tight, and uh, it was just almost just stretched. And sometimes you wonder, how can they do that, and how can they get them so tight? And do it like that. Now, I think maybe if you started young doing it instead of waiting up to your 60, if you started maybe at 40 with a little bit in these crow, uh, these crow tracks around your eyes, you know, yeah. things like that, a little bit along, it might be a good thing. You know, I understand, you know, if you're an actress or a model or something like that, it's probably okay. But for the average person, um, you might even up getting a butcher to operate on you also. Well, I I, I'm I asking you, Jerry, because I want to get your thoughts on plastic surgery. You're a guy. You're in your 70s. You're a good-looking septuagenarian, by the way. Ooh, but you have not, you, as a male, as a male, you haven't dove in and done any of the plastic surgery. And I'm really wanting your opinion on on the fellow septuagenarians of yours who might be from the female side of things that might be considering a little work. As I like to tell people, when you look at plastic surgery as a possibility, you've got one of two options. 
when when you get down the road after you do it, let's say earlier in life, and those two right. options are only going to be one of the two. Are you going to look fake down the road after you have it done? Or by not doing it, are you going to look old? Which of the two would you rather have people weigh in on, whether you look fake or you look old? Uh, obviously, I'd rather uh, grow old gracefully. And uh, there's nothing wrong with growing old gracefully. Um, I see people every day, you know, and uh, if we have a class reunion occasionally, they might uh, say, hey, let's decide who is the, still the youngest looking person here. And of course, out of a class reunion, uh, I don't think I've seen any plastic surgery, but you know, you some people grow old really gracefully. And uh, so I wouldn't recommend plastic surgery to anybody because, you know, sometimes it just like you said earlier, hey, it can make you look fake, 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 fake. And uh, some people won't even hardly recognize you. And you know, I've seen people that, uh, I hardly recognize and uh, that I knew from some other business or something that had it done. But, you know, I had a secretary one time. Uh, I saw that had it done and, you know, my eyes popped out and I thought, goodness gracious, you know, why did you do that? Just go ahead and grow old, uh, you know, graciously. But, you know, there's things that people just are so vain about and uh, a lot of people fit in that category. Now, obviously, I, it wouldn't do me any good to be vain because I hadn't had to be vain since I was a baby <laughs> because there was nothing to be vain about. But uh, but for some people that look really thought, you know, look good, they might have been a homecoming queen or they might have been a, a Miss America or they might have been something of that nature. And they can't, they just can't take getting old. So they go, you know, they go have plastic surgery and, I think plastic surgery can uh, can do more damage than it can do good because yeah. uh, as a person of my age, you know, I'm 75, uh, I'd lot rather look at a person my age that I recognize, you know, everybody's going to be a little bit, not everybody, a lot of people are going to be like me and have gained a lot of weight. And uh, <laughs> they'll look different that way. But I, I never have a problem with anybody from the military to wherever I've been. If I'm called Sergeant Short or Coach Short or whatever they want to call me, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll run into somebody I may not have seen in 40 years. And they'll say, Sergeant Short. And I'll say, you know, that's not going to recognize me. Jerry, and, you're, you're uh, leaving out the best example. You ran into somebody just a few weeks ago who had not seen you in 65 years and recognized that's true. you. That's true. And he recognized me right off. And um, I'd loaned him a car when he's that the one you're talking about. I'd loaned him a car one time when his wife was sick. No, this and, is somebody uh, from your Como days. Oh, that's true. Now, I did run into some Como people um, at, a, uh, at a wedding. And I caught the name, and then uh, uh, we talked, and they recognized me. <laughs> oh, yeah, they said, the words they said, and if I remember them correctly, they said, you know, we recognize that smile. Whatever it is, uh, we recognize that smile because it's the same smile you had when you was in the first and second grade. Golly. Uh, now, in this school, 
first and second grade was the one <laughs> so you know i probably had a lot of smiling today yes, we didn't, you did. if you if you had plastic surgery out there we hope if you had plastic surgery out there today we hope you have enjoyed it it was working out good for you all we wanted to do is let someone like jerry who's again 75 years years young who's never had it himself probably because he's too cheap to have it but uh if you if you if you haven't had it yet and you're seriously thinking about it maybe you should do the jerry thing and just accept that uh you might have a couple extra wrinkles or whatever but you still look beautiful that sound good, Jerry? Sounds good to me, John. Walk up to him and say, hey, don't I know you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Jerry, we got to get out of here. Thank you again for coming on. We'll have more of the Y'all Show after this break. Stay tuned. Southern Accent. Here's what's cooking in the South from Y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Nashville-based restaurant chain Houston's is now subject to a targeted campaign started by high school students after the casual eatery removed their favorite food from the menu, the flying chicken platter, to fund a billboard to be set up outside Houston's West Paces Ferry location in Atlanta. The billboard will have the message, Bring the Tendies Back, if their $7,500 goal is met. Word for the campaign is spread online, with Bring Back the Tendies already amassing on Instagram, the GoFundMe campaign is the latest attempt to get the attention of the restaurant, as previous attempts, such as directly addressing the restaurant, a mass email campaign, a t-shirt protest, and vows of boycotting, have proved unsuccessful. One student told WSB-TV2 Atlanta that eating chicken tenders allowed us to become much closer over what we believe to be genuinely the best meal on the planet. Removing the chicken tenders permanently would devastate us, so we are doing something about it. It is unclear why the students chose Atlanta for the billboard. Thus far, they have raised over $2,500 on the GoFundMe. Recipes, tips, headlines, and more at y'all.com. All right, good information to close out hour number two of Talk with a Southern Accent. Ahead on hour number three of y'all, we've got an update on sports, including the NBA Finals. Plus, we'll let you know more about the East Carolina Pirates, the traditions and famous alums of ECU, All that plus more news headlines from across the South and a look at what's ahead on the Y'all Show for the rest of the week. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. reached the third hour of talking about everything southern today i'm your friendly narrator moderator and friend john rawl getting you through this final hour of our start of the week edition of y'all hoping you all had a wonderful couple of days off maybe perhaps for a weekend of weekend of course we got a little spoiled by since the previous weekend had been a what four-day weekend in some cases Oh my goodness, we're back now to a five-day work week for all of us who are having to punch a time clock across the southeast, but we're glad that you're deciding to punch in here on the Y'all Show, and let me punch in and tell you what's going on here in this third hour. We've got a look at headlines in the sports world that we'll be getting to to start off the hour. The Major League Baseball held its first day of the draft on Sunday, and I'll let you know who all was picked, including a couple of those Vanderbilt pitchers that were so good in SEC baseball here in the college baseball season. 
Also, we'll let you know about the All-Star break, which is going on right this second. Major League Baseball's All-Star game in Denver instead of Truist Park, Atlanta. Mm, that makes me so mad. Also, we'll let you know about the NBA Finals. Milwaukee picks up a win in Game 3. We'll let you know about how the Greek Freak came aboard and got that team at least thinking that they might could actually win there along the shores of Lake Michigan. All that coming up, plus news out of NASCAR and golf and our sports headlines here to start hour number three. Then we'll go in the next segment to Greenville, North Carolina. There you'll find East Carolina University, and today ECU and Greenville are our latest stop on our 44-city tour across the southeast as we march toward the start of college football season on Labor Day weekend. In just the past few days, we've told you all about Louisiana Lafayette. We have taken you to Beale Street in Memphis and broke down the 2021 Memphis Tigers schedule. We've also looked at UAB. They've got an impressive stadium being built right now in downtown Birmingham, and the Blazers are getting ready for the start of their season. We told you all about Sam Houston State. The Bearcats out of the FCS are a national champion already in 2021. They won the FCS championship back at the end of April. And we will let you – we've already told you about those couple of teams – This week on the Y'all Show, we get things going, and our tour resumes in Greenville as East Carolina is our latest stop, and we'll let you know in this hour all about ECU's traditions and some of the more famous alumni of East Carolina University. Go Pirates! Hang on! Get your sabers out! Get your pirate ship ready, because it's going to be all matey, all ECU in the next segment. Also, in this hour, we've got more headlines coming in across the South, some animal news. It's not good animal news coming from Florida as they are having a loss of life big time in manatees. But we'll also let you know about how a catfish in North Carolina lost its life over the weekend. And this catfish's uh, death is a good thing for the person who is the the murderer of said catfish because this catfish ends up breaking a record in North Carolina for the largest catfish ever ever caught or murdered, <laughs> depending on how you want to look at it. We'll tell you about all that in our headlines here, plus Jimmy and Rosalind Carter celebrating 75 years of wedded bliss. We'll let you discuss and let you hear all about that in our headlines. Plus, we'll let you know what's up on the Y'all Show for the rest of the week. All that is ahead. If you want to email us here at Y'all, our email address is mail at y'all.com. It is so dang easy for you to be part of the show we consider you part of the show, and we just want to hear from you. So all you got to do is drop us an email. If you got a recipe, you got something you want to share with us, if you want to tell us how great we're doing, if you want to tell us how bad we're doing, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. If you want to text us, our number, and it's available for you to text anytime you want to, whether you're listening to us on one of our incredibly awesome radio stations right now or you're tuning in via the podcast, which you can get the Y'all Show podcast at iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, the Stitcher app, and the Apple Podcast app, including also at y'all.com. If you're listening to us, no matter what time of day or night, you can text us anytime, 803-816-1170. All right, looking at some sports headlines. As we said, the Major League Baseball fellas are on a little bit of a break, If that is if they're not in Denver for the All-Star game as Major League Baseball's season taking a couple of days hiatus from regular season play. The All-Star game will be Tuesday. They've got the home run derby set for tonight, I think it is. And so you'll be able to see 
People like Otani, if he's able to knock out 600 feet home runs in Denver, which he's very likely to do. But otherwise, it's going to be a game that's irrelevant played on Tuesday. And if you're like me, if you love the South, you're mad about what Major League Baseball and Commissioner Manfred have done the last couple of months, pulling the All-Star game out of Atlanta, moving it to Denver, where they have more restrictive rules in some cases on voting in Colorado than they do in Georgia. But MLB got woke, and they followed the lead of some kind of organization that said, you know, you ought to to pull that game out of Atlanta. And they said, okay, I think we'll do just that. And they did. Now, Major League Baseball, these guys hope to be making a few pesos in Major League Baseball pretty soon. And they should, since they just got drafted over the weekend. Congratulations to Louisville Cardinal catcher Henry Davis. He went number one in the Major League Baseball draft on Sunday night. And he ends up being a number one pick again. Played for Dan McDonald and the Louisville Cardinals. He went number one to the Bucks. Number two went to the Texas Rangers. And they chose Vanderbilt hurler Jack Leiter, the son of Al Leiter. I didn't realize Al Leiter spent nearly 20 years as a Major League Baseball pitcher. But sure enough, he did. His son now, Jack, gets a chance to have a long career in the big leagues. The Detroit Tigers went with a pitcher, Jackson Job. Red Sox went with Marcelo Meyer. And then the O's, with the fifth pick, chose Sam Houston State outfielder Colton Kowser as the fifth pick overall. Jordan Lawler went to the Arizona Diamondbacks with the sixth pick. The Royals went with pitcher Frank Mazzucato. The Rockies with outfielder Benny Montgomery as their choice. The L.A. Angels, they I guess Otani's not good enough for them. They've chosen another pitcher in this year's draft. Sam Bachman, he picks. He gets picked up by the Halos at number nine. And then in the final of the top ten picks of the Major League Draft of 2021, it was Vanderbilt right-handed pitcher Kumar Rocker chosen by the New York Mets. And so this pitcher, who many thought would be perhaps a number one overall pick, falls all the way down to number 10. And the reason for that, according to some of the experts, is that, frankly, Rocker had a rocky kind of end to his career at Vanderbilt. He got rocked in that final game that Vanderbilt used him in in the College World Series against Mississippi State. And his season was not as good as it could have been. And therefore, he drops all the way to 10. But still, a first-rounder, nothing to sneeze at. Tim Corbin with two pitchers selected in the top 10 of this year's Major League Baseball draft. Congratulations to all the young men as they make their way to the diamonds of professional baseball. To the hard court of professional basketball Sunday evening, the Milwaukee Bucks able to get a victory in their series, the MLB, the NHL, MLB, NBA finals going on right now and game three 120 110 rather 120 to 100 Milwaukee with the victory in game three over the Phoenix Suns Giannis Anamabuko with 41 points as the Bucks got back together and got a victory in game three this series now a 2-1 lead for the Valley Suns of Phoenix and they're going to have a few days to think about it because they're not getting back on the court until Wednesday when the Bucks host the Suns at Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee. ABC is where you'll be able to tune in Wednesday evening and see this game tipping off at 9 Eastern, 8 o'clock Milwaukee time. Suns-Bucks, Game 4, taking place Wednesday. To the world of golf and former Clemson Tiger golfer, 
Lucas Glover with a big win on the PGA Tour on Sunday as he wins the John Deere Classic there in the Quad, Cili- Quad Cities of Illinois and Iowa, and he gets his first victory in 10 years of playing professional golf. The former Tiger, former Wade Hampton High School product out of the upstate. He was a native of Greenville, South Carolina, and the 41-year-old Duffer again picks up his first big victory on the PGA Tour in 10 years. Now, he is a guy who has won a major. He won the U.S. Open back in 2009. His other big, as far as the majors go, his other finishes, he had a top 20 in the Masters in 2007. That's his best finish there. PGA Championship of 2008, he finished in the top five. And then in the British Open, he finished in a tie for 12th in 2011. But a U.S. Open winner now wins for the fourth time as Lucas Glover comes back. He had an impressive final round there in the Quad Cities and got a victory on Sunday on the PGA Tour stop, of which there were a couple of different golf events going on over the weekend in just the fellas' side of things. First of all, you had the Scottish Open from the European Tour. A lot of golfers have already made their way across the ocean to get ready for next week's open or this week's now open championship. And I know John Rahm at one time had a pretty sizable lead in the Scottish Open. He ends up losing that one. But in the U.S., we had that celebrity thing going on there at Tahoe with Charles Barkley and Seth Curry. And uh, John Smoltz also did really well out there in that celebrity pro-am that happens. In fact, Smoltz ends up losing that thing. John Smoltz, who's a heck of a golfer, ends up losing that uh, beautiful setting. I love that thing they have every year. It's it's a bittersweet tournament there on the long, along the shores of Lake Tahoe. It's bittersweet because when you see that tournament take place, you know the summer is essentially over. In fact, it is usually the last hurrah for all of the NFL people who show up there for that thing because it's just days later after Tahoe that they have to put away their golf clubs and report to the NFL training camps around the the country at this point. But John Smoltz, the Braves pitcher, the Hall of Famer, he ends up losing to Vinny Del Negro, the former NC State basketball player, as Vinny Del Negro got a big victory just a few days after his father died at this American Century Championship from Lake Tahoe, the 54-year-old former NBA player after he went on to the association following his time with the Wolfpack got the victory again over John Smoltz. Smoltz is a heck of a golf player. In fact, he's tried to make it in, I think, on the Champions Tour. Smoltz, the 54-year-old Hall of Fame pitcher, he did very well. But in the end, it was a Wolfpack star besting John Smoltz at this event. And then on the senior circuit, you had a great win by Jim Furyk as the seniors had their U.S. Open over the weekend. And Jim Furyk, who has won so many times on the regular PGA Tour, remember he's the guy that in recent years got a 58, I think was his score in a round, and that continues to be the lowest score posted by any PGA golfer in maybe history. I'm not exactly sure. But in Omaha over the weekend, Furyk ends up winning the U.S. Senior Open by three strokes And I don't know if he gets to go to the Open Championship this year or not, if he's even eligible from his experience in the past there. 
but a great win by an extremely good golfer and Jim Furyk. And on the LPGA side, a Japanese golfer ends up winning the event that they had there in Ohio that was played in the in the Toledo area of Ohio over the weekend. And a Japanese golfer ends up winning that because it got canceled after just three rounds as rain really soaked the course. And after they tried to start it and and then postpone and start it back again, in the end, it was Japanese golfer Nasa Hatoka who wins by six shots at the Marathon LPGA Classic in Sylvania, Ohio over the weekend. Again, played with only three rounds in the books. The fourth round ended up being canceled. And then in NASCAR from the weekend, Kurt Busch rallies past his brother Kyle and won in Atlanta at Atlanta Motor Speedway over the weekend with a big, big victory as he passed his brother Kyle with 24 laps left and won the NASCAR Cup Series on Sunday at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Congratulations again to Kurt Busch beating his brother and everybody else in the field there south of downtown Atlanta in NASCAR's race from the weekend. The Y'all Show will take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to get our saber out, and our pirate ship is going to be loaded up, and we're going to take you. We're going to sail away to Greenville, North Carolina, and tell you about the traditions and pageantry and some of the famous alums of East Carolina University, as ECU is today's featured school in our 44-city tour of colleges around the South as we get you ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Yeah, matey. We'll be right back with Pirate Talk. The Y'all Show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's y'all show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's great Southern College Football Showcase. We are now less than two months away from college football Big time getting underway. I know you're excited, and you're also excited about the reveal of today's college football tour across the South featured school. If you missed it in hour number one, we already broke down this school's 2021 schedule. They've got lots of work to do at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, but when they do, you can be assured that you're going to get to hear a whole lot of this fight song being played. Carolina is today's featured school. It's all ECU on this Monday edition as we're getting you ready to learn more about this incredible football program, a rich tradition. Yes, I know that ECU is one of about a thousand colleges in the state of North Carolina, but they've really held their own. There's been times where ECU probably was the best college football team in the state of North Carolina, 
and it's one pirate nation for sure. And we're here today to tell you a little bit more about the traditions and what it's like to be there at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium if you make it into Greenville for a football game at East Carolina University in hour number one. We already walked through Mike Houston, his third year now at the helm of the pirate ship in in East North Carolina at Greenville. And so we're going to focus more about the university and some alumni talking more here as we do a tradition spotlight of ECU Pirate Sports. Okay, first off, East Carolina is a public research university in Greenville. It is the fourth largest college in the state of North Carolina, and they have currently enrolled at ECU over 25,000 students. That includes 23,000 undergrads and just over, well, I'm sorry, I'm wrong on the numbers. There are nearly 30,000 students at East Carolina. My apologies there. And they have about 23,000 undergraduates and nearly 6,000 postgraduate students there on campus in eastern North Carolina at ECU. And Philip Rogers is the chancellor of this very large UNC system institution. And it has a long history of athletic teams and success. And East Carolina got going as a college back in 1907. And again, nearly 30,000 students now call East Carolina home. And let me tell you about some of the famous alums of ECU. Get ready because it's quite a list. First, from the business world, the former chairman and chief executive officer of BB&T, a fairly young guy, John A. Allison IV, is a East Carolina University alumnus. BB&T is now formed into Truist Bank. I'm a stockholder of Truist. Thank you very much. Also, in the business world of East Carolina, you have the chairman and CEO of something called WWE. You also have the former chief executive officer of WWE as ECU alums. We're talking about the McMahons, Vince McMahon and Linda McMahon. Vince, class of 1968, Linda, class of 1969. They are East Carolina University alums. Get ready to rumble. Go Pirates, McMahon family. Then in terms of other ECU alums through the years, they've had a lot of of great people from all walks of professional life, including in the entertainment world. Did you realize Sandra Bullock is an East Carolina alum, class of 1986, another famous actress from ECU, a lady that used to be on CSI Miami, North Carolinian Emily Proctor. She is an ECU alum. You also have Marina Boyle, a news anchor. You might remember seeing her. She is an ECU alum. Also, authors Luke Wisnott and Marshall Moore, Emmy Award winners, John Beard, he's not the John Beard Award winner. He's an Emmy Award-winning anchor in TV for Fox News. Also in politics, lots of people who've called ECU home. And so you have a very, very wide range of politicians. You also have a bunch of sports figures who've called East Carolina their alma mater. And we'll start with football. As I said before, I would probably consider the greatest football player to come out of East Carolina, I would say Jeff Blake. I don't know if you would consider that, but yeah, he's 
someone who was a very good quarterback for them back in the day. Then you also have a guy who used to be the head coach of East Carolina just a couple years ago, Ruffin McNeil, as Ruffin McNeil is now on the OU staff, but he is class of 1980 from ECU. How about Dave Odom, the former Wake Forest head basketball coach, went on to be a successful coach for the South Carolina Gamecocks. He's ECU class of 1969. And then another basketball coach, the late Kay Yao, who was the head coach of the NC State Wolfpack before she died of breast cancer. She's East Carolina class of 1964. All those are famous alums of East Carolina University, Greenville, North Carolina. Now, what about some of the traditions and fun that you'll find at game day in Greenville, North Carolina at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium? The cannon is a big part. Remember, this is the team that's moniker is the Pirates. So, yeah, when they have a touchdown, a gigantic cannon will go off, and that'll hype up the crowd and intimidate opponents at home football games there, and it's a big part of the tradition. We played the fight song earlier. We'll play it when we go to break. The fight song is Cheer for East Carolina, Cheer for Old EC. That is a tradition there. Also there, beginning in 2007 at East Carolina, the Pirates adopted a new set of flag-raising ceremonies at home football games. And these ceremonies reflect the historic pirate traditions of battle at sea when pirates would hoist the colors of the crew's captain to identify themselves when attacking other seafaring vessels. Remember, eastern North Carolina, especially around the coast and those inland waters, that was the home of Blackbeard, one of the most famous pirates we've ever seen. And so that's why East Carolina kind of went with the whole pirate theme when they chose a mascot many, many years ago. And again, this pirate... Really cool. In fact, did you realize the name of the pirate for East Carolina comes from, I would say, a river? But let me just tell you that in 1983, they had a pirate naming contest, and elementary schools from around Pitt County, North Carolina, were involved, and they chose as the mascot name P.D. the Pirate. The name P.D. was believed to come from the P.D. rivers that flow through both North and South Carolina. So how about that P.D.? P-E-E-D-E-E, P-D, P-D the Pirate. They also have painted purple Fridays at ECU where athletics encourage all Pirate fans to wear purple every Friday to show your Pirate pride. And they also have, again, the colors of purple and gold. That goes way back in the history of the schools. Now, a fairly new tradition at East Carolina football games is the purple haze. That's what the team runs out amongst the Purple Haze when they hit the field there at Dowdy Ficklin. And, of course, if you know anything about music, there's a song that the Jimi Hendrix experience had called Purple Haze. And while we're talking about Purple Haze, I'll go ahead and play a little bit of this tune here to get you a little bit into the Purple Haze of East Carolina game days. But, yeah, the team kind of runs out there with this Jimi Hendrix music playing and that purple smoke ablaze there at Dowdy Ficklin and Pirate fans Get ready for a big, big game day. And they've got some big games taking place in Greenville this week or this year. They got the South Carolina Gamecocks coming in as Carolina and East Carolina are the home opener at Dowdy Ficklin. That game's set for September 11th when the SEC's Roosters kind of run over across the state line into Eastern North Carolina for an ECU battle. They also have there at home another South Carolina team coming into East Carolina. That's the Charleston Southern Buccaneers for Paint It Gold. That's the game there 
this year. Their American Conference home opener is against the Tulane Green Wave on October 2nd. And then they also have another big game. Their finale this year is against the Cincinnati Bearcats, the defending AAC champion. And that's going to be either Friday, November 26th, or November 27th, a Saturday. East Carolina coach Mike Houston getting ready for the third season together as the Pirates look to get back to supremacy and and have a very good season. This is a program that has not been bowling in over five years, and some experts think that this could be ECU's year to get back to the bowl game and get a lot of loot as the Pirates look to improve their fortunes. But East Carolina football, something I know a lot of the ECU fans take great pride in, the traditions and fun and the alumni of East Carolina University, Greenville, North Carolina, and today they were our latest stop on our 44-city tour of colleges across the southeast. And coming up on the Tuesday Y'all Show, we'll keep it in the Carolinas. In fact, we'll keep it in the coastal portions of the Carolinas. On Tuesday's Y'all Show, we'll go from the AAC to the Sunbelt Conference, and we'll talk about the defending co-champion of the Sunbelt Conference, the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers out of Conway, South Carolina. That's who we'll be stopping by on Tuesday as we make our way down U.S. 17 into Conway for our spotlight of college football traditions and more. When the Y'all Show comes back, we've got a quick look at some headlines making news here on this Monday. We'll have that coming up right after the break here on Talk with a Southern Accent. Go Pirates! Back into y'all. Got a few minutes left here as we get you through this Monday edition and a look at some of the items making news headlines across the region today. Brian Roden has been arrested in Georgia. He faces multiple charges, including murder, murder, kidnapping, and aggravated assault. He is the man now alleged to have killed the three people on that golf course in Kennesaw, Georgia. This shooting suspect is alleged to have bound his victims with tape, according to investigators. He killed two of those that he bound in tape and had them in the back of that pickup truck on that golf course on the Saturday of July 4th weekend. And then the golf pro there ends up 
stumbling upon this scene, and he ends up being killed. Golf pro Gene Siller found shot dead on the course near the 10th hole, and now over the weekend, police arresting 23-year-old Brian Roden with the murder of three in Georgia from the 4th of July weekend. We have some animal news to tell you about. In Florida, more Florida manatees have died in the first half of this year than in any other year in the state of Florida's history. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission reported that 841 manatee deaths were recorded from January 1st until July 2nd. 87 manatee deaths have been reported in the Tampa Bay area alone, but something's going on. Again, manatees dying in Florida this year more than any other year, primarily from starvation due to the loss of seagrass beds. Biologists believe that water pollution is killing the seagrass beds in the area, but boat strikes also responsible for at least 63 deaths of the manatees, those lovely creatures that are protected under the Endangered Species Act. There's estimated to be 6,300 Florida manatees in the Sunshine State, so we want to protect them and just unbelievably cool creatures, especially in that beautiful inland waters, if you're able to see that while vacationing perhaps in the Sunshine State anytime soon. You might be vacationing in North Carolina sooner than later, especially if you're an angler, because, boy, do they have quite the catfish haul coming in from the Tar Heel State. A man caught a 127-pound catfish, and that is a new record. This Johnston County man catching this catfish near the Roanoke River in Scotland Neck, North Carolina. Again, 127.1 pounds for this blue catfish if you're keeping score. Rocky Baker, a Four Oaks man with the help of his friend Justin Clifton, caught this fish. Clifton helped Baker get the fish in the boat and on the scales to weigh it. It's a whopper, and it's a huge, again, catfish. It broke the previous North Carolina record for the blue catfish caught in the state. Baker broke the record held by Joey Baird from Virginia by more than five pounds. They're eating good. They're the catfish of North Carolina in the Roanoke River. And he was weighed at the Easy Bait and Tackle in Goldsboro, which I assume is an official weighing station. So congratulations. This is big news, y'all. 127-pound catfish being caught in North Carolina. So you don't have to go to that boggy, muddy Mississippi or any of its tributaries to catch big catfish in the south. You can go to a pretty pristine area there in North Carolina and catch this whopper of a catfish. A happy story coming to us from the bluegrass of Kentucky. An ice cream shop has opened in Jessamine County, and it it is hosting its grand opening this week. And this is an unusual place. The local confectionery, located on Main Street in Wilmore, Kentucky, it's not just serving up delicious ice cream and sweets there, but it's looking to do this in a way that 100% of this ice cream shop's sales are going to be invested back into Wilmore, Kentucky, in Jasmine County, as the owners there hope to pay it forward, and they think that they can do that through their delicious, delicious ice cream at the local confectionery. And again, Erica Miller, one of the owners, saying whether it be a community event or a business that is struggling, we can help pay for that, as Wilmore, Kentucky has such potential and there are such amazing people, we want to give back in whatever way we can. And these owners now at the local confectionery going to try to make a big difference and help out the local community. Paying it forward 
and I've got to check out where the local confectionery is because, goodness gracious, it just to know that they're helping out their community is one thing. But from all signs, it looks like this is a delicious place to get ice cream in Wilmore, Kentucky. Now, Wilmore, Kentucky, if you're trying to find it, pull out your Rand McNally. It is not the world's biggest city. It's located really right in the heart of Kentucky is where you'll find Jessamine County. And Jessamine County has about 7,000 residents. I would say probably the closest big city to Wilmore, Kentucky, which is probably Lexington. I don't know the exact distance over to Lexington from Wilmore, but it looks like it's in the Lexington TV market, if you will. And so it it looks like a slice out of Norman Rockwell's America right there in Wilmore, Kentucky. And again, if you go there, you can find the local confectionery, and they're doing their part to serve up delicious ice cream and help out the local community of that portion of Kentucky. And if you're looking at a map, I guess Wilmore would be southwest of Lexington. In fact, it is just outside of Nicholsville, hometown of one John Michael Montgomery, actually. So just a couple of miles away is where you'll find this town from Nicholasville, which is a Lexington suburb. And that's positive news for all y'all. Here are some other positive news. Are you ready for positive news from Plains, Georgia? You know what comes out of there. The Carters and Jimmy and Rosalind celebrated 75 years of marriage over the weekend. Congratulations to the former president and his lovely Georgia Peach after they had a celebration of 75 years of being married there in their hometown of Plains, Georgia. About 300 friends and family came over to Plains High School. Some of this was live streamed. You might want to check that out if you get a chance. As Jimmy and Rosalind sitting side by side recounted how they were together way back in the days of World War II. And she, Rosalind recounted how she didn't care for dating young men while growing up and she never thought she'd get married. And then comes Jimmy. And the peanut farmer turned sailor, turned politician, turned humanitarian. They have a love affair now that's lasted in marriage 75 years. They were married July 7th, 1946 in Plains, a town of fewer than 1,000 residents, by the way. And now the former president, who is 96, and Rosalind, who's 93, are celebrating 75 years those who attended Saturday's celebration included former President Bill Clinton and Hillary. <laughs> they made their way to Plains, I guess so. Also, Nancy Pelosi helping to celebrate. And country music stars Trisha Yearwood and Garth Brooks and Ted Turner also attended, according to the Carter Center. Jimmy Carter wore a dark suit jacket with a yellow flower on the chest, closed his brief remarks with six simple words to those who gathered, I love you all very much. Jimmy Carter, how dare you? How could you not say, I love y'all very much? In fact, he tried to get all fancy, this Naval Academy and former Georgia Tech student. I love you all very much. Come on, Jimmy. It's, I love y'all. But congratulations to Jimmy and Rosalind celebrating 75 years of marriage. And lastly, Dolly Parton went antiquing over the weekend in the Nashville area. She was spotted in a few shops as she was on a little bit of a tour. She stopped by Three French Hens. That's in Nolensville, not far from her Brentwood home, 
but Dolly out doing a little antiquing. One of the people in that store said that they're a Nashville native and they'd had the opportunity to meet several entertainers over the years, but to see Dolly was just a whole nother level of excitement. As Dolly came into the store and everybody was surprised to see her, according to this one person there, and the first thought they had that it was probably a Dolly impersonator, but no, it's really Dolly Parton. Even Dolly Parton likes to go antiquing in Nolansville and other spots around Middle Tennessee, and good to see her out in a post-pandemic setting, perhaps enjoying a little life like a normal Southerner would do. Good news coming out of Middle Tennessee here today. We'll come right back on the Y'all Show and give you a quick update at what's up the rest of the week at the Y'all Show. we got a lot of good stuff coming your way. You don't want to miss out. We'll wrap it all up here after this timeout. Okay, we're back on y'all show. Don't know where that uh, sound effect's coming from there in the background, but I don't know what's fun. It's talking about the South, and that's what we get a chance to do each and every day here on Talk with a Southern Accent. We're going to wrap up things today with you to give you a little bit of idea what's ahead on the y'all show going forward the rest of the week. As we've already hinted that on Tuesday's y'all show, we'll be spotlighting the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers out of the Sunbelt Conference. They were one of the Cinderella teams of 2020. And we'll let you go to Conway SC and learn all about the teal of Coastal Carolina, Dustin Johnson University. But now it's going to be more about the football team and what happens there at Brooks Stadium in O'Ree County, South Carolina. We'll also let you know about other famous alumni of Coastal Carolina, including said Dustin Johnson. They also have a guy that's pretty famous in the acting world who is a CCU alum. Even my eye doctor is a Coastal Carolina University alumnus. I don't know if he's going to be listed on their notable alumni or not, but he ought to be because he does a good job with my eyes. I think I think I can see. I don't hear very well, but I can see pretty good. Coastal Carolina, Chanticleer Talk coming up on Tuesday's Y'all Show. Plus, we also have our barbecue barrister stopping by for a report on all things Southern. On the Wednesday Y'all Show, we'll give you an update on what's going on in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Plus, we'll also tell you more about our spotlight for that day in college football as we make our tour around the South. It's the Tulane Green Wave out of the Big Easy. And they'll be our spotlight as we walk our way through college football's great towns and traditions and universities getting ready for the start of the 2021 season. In the second hour of Wednesday's Y'all Show, I'm going to kind of hold off on what that announcement's going to be, but we're going to have a special guest dropping by And this special guest has been on a little bit of a road trip. And we'll let you know where this person went and some of the sights and sounds and delicious food that she found when she made her little road trip. So I uh, am excited about that one, y'all. That's coming up on Wednesday, plus a look at books, what's going on in the book world. We'll have that coming your way on the Wednesday Y'all Show. Thursday, we'll be taking y'all to Hattiesburg, Southern Miss is our featured city on our tour across the southeast. It's Southern Miss to the top, and we'll tell you all about the Golden Eagles and their traditions at M.M. Roberts Stadium and more. 
That's on the Thursday Y'all Show. Plus, we'll have entertainment headlines. And a pop singer is going to be dropping by. She's based in Dallas. Her name is Shab. She'll be dropping by Thursday for that fun interview. And on Friday, Craig Faulkner will be back with our fishing forecast and will be spotlighting the Navy midshipmen to close out the week. All that right here on the Y'all Show. We will see you back here on the Tuesday Show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.